This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. Teacher pay is on the political agenda. Following strikes in West Virginia, Oklahoma, Arizona, and several other states last year, candidates for the Democratic nomination for president are competing to see just who can promise the most to teachers on the pay raise front. We just have to pay teachers more, says South Bend Mayor Peter Buttigieg. Bernie Sanders wants to pay every teacher $60,000 a year, and Kamala Harris wants to give every teacher a $13,500 salary increase. But two researchers at the American Enterprise Institute are saying it's not so clear that teachers need a huge salary increase. In a just-published article in National Affairs entitled The Truth About Teacher Pay, Andrew Biggs and Jason Richwine say that teachers are paid well enough and perhaps more than well enough already. So I'm pleased to have Andrew Biggs with me on the Education Exchange today to explain just exactly why they have come to this conclusion. Thank you, Andrew, for joining me on the Education Exchange. Well, thank you for having me. It's great to be with you. So, Andrew, the Economic Policy Institutes released a study that says the gap between average teacher pay and average pay of other college-educated workers is no less than 21%. So there's a 21% gap nationwide. And a lot of candidates for the presidency are pointing to this uh, study as proof that teachers need a substantial salary increase. And you're raising some questions about that study. What exactly are they? Well, uh, your introduction is, is 100% correct. That, that teacher pay is you know, sort of a matter of controversy in states around the country. Um, if you were to go on the Internet and search in the phrase teacher pay gap, you'll find hundreds of citations to media articles from all different states. Most of them come back to a series of studies published by a think tank called the Economic Policy Institute, which is based in um, Washington, D.C., and it, and it has affiliations with unions and teacher unions in, in particular. The EPI, Economic Policy Institute Studies, purport to show that teachers are now paid 21% uh, less than comparable uh, workers in, in other occupations, meaning essentially college-educated employees in the private sector. And they, they go beyond this and give very seemingly precise estimates. They say, well, in Wyoming, the teacher salary gap is only 0.2%, but in uh, Arizona, it's 32.6%. Most people have no idea how these numbers are produced. And if, in fact, they're giving you decimal points. You know, it implies there's science here. But there really is uh, a lot more doubt about these numbers than you would think. I can go through the technicalities of how they produce these figures and, and where I think their mistakes lie, but the interesting thing we do in the National Affairs article is to take the exact same data that EPI uses and the exact same statistical methodology, but instead of testing whether teachers are fairly paid, we look at other occupations and say, what sort of results does that produce? And a lot of the results that this methodology produces are, to be frank, absurd. Um, if you apply the same Economic Policy Institute methodology to teachers or to nurses, uh, I apologize, it says they are overpaid by roughly 25%. So nurses are paid 25% more than they, they should be paid? Is that what we're learning from this exactly. study? Exactly. It'll claim they're overpaid by 25%. Firefighters are overpaid by a huge amount. Electricians are overpaid. Telemarketers, though, are underpaid. 
when you look at these results, they, they're, they're just absurd. For instance, the most, or I think the second most overpaid uh, occupation in the country, according to these data and the Economic Policy Institute's own methodology, would be, be nurse anesthetists. A nurse anesthetist is a nurse who does the same job as anesthesiologist, but instead of being paid around $350,000 per year, the anesthesiologists are, they're paid about $125,000. But according to this methodology, nurse anesthetists are overpaid by 80% or something so like that. So it when it's I, absurd when, result. Yeah, when I looked at your study, uh, Andrew, I sort of thought, well, it sounds to me like they are saying that every college degree is worth the same amount of money. Is that it's one of exactly the things they right. assume? Yes. Um, they assume that if you have a bachelor's degree, you should be paid the same as other similar workers with bachelor degrees. If you have a master's degree, you should get paid the same as somebody with a master's degree. Now, we all understand when we think about edu education, we think about how our kids are doing in school, we understand that all degrees are not the same. For instance, there's a big push for people to go for STEM degrees, uh, degrees in science, technology, things like engineering, computer science, mathematics. We understand these degrees are more rigorous, they're more difficult. We also understand that they pay much more in the private sector. Nobody questions that an engineer is paid more than an English major. If you look at national data, uh, public school teachers have more years of education than around 95% of the, of the workforce. They have more years of education than most engineers, than, than physicists. Well, than, that's, that's, I, that's because you have to have a, a, a four-year degree in order to teach, right? And you've got to be certified by the state in order to teach. That's correct. What has happened in the past uh, maybe quarter century is educational attainment for teachers has risen considerably because teacher salary schedules provide additional salary to teachers who, who get master's degrees or PhDs. So if you go back to, say, 1979, only around a quarter of uh, teachers had an advanced degree. Today, the majority of teachers do. This pushes them up in terms of educational attainment. But aren't they better teachers because they have a master's degree now? All the uh, evidence indicates not. A graduate degree can either signal greater teaching ability, meaning you know you, because you got into the course and was hardworking enough to finish it, that signals you're a better teacher, or it could impart additional skills or knowledge. The best research appears to show that, except in very narrow cases, these master's degrees don't result in better teaching. But what this does statistically in the Economic Policy Institute's numbers is you are comparing teachers today to an increasingly educated segment of the private sector workforce. And so the upshot is that teachers appear more underpaid because you are comparing them to engineers or physicists and things like that. Our point is there is quantity of education, there's also quality of education. And when people think about how much you get paid in the workforce today, Often the focus is on the quality of education. Did you do a rigorous course? Are you in a STEM field? This isn't to say that public school teachers are not smart people. Well, then the but other thing is... Not, but it's also to say they're not more educated than 95% of the workforce. Right. And, and we I also, don't think it's insulting to claim We also that, know that, that te just, teachers are uh, from the bottom uh, tier 
A third of the teachers come from the least selective colleges and universities in the country, which suggests that they are probably not getting the same quality education simply be, by virtue of the institution that they're at. If you look at the whole teacher workforce today, that, that is by and large correct. And that would help explain why you know, teachers are not paid as well as somebody who is an engineering major. But here's an interesting thing. If you look at Economic Policy Institute study, they claim the teacher pay gap has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger over the years. So it's much larger today than it was 20 or 30 years ago. At the same time, though, various studies have found the quality of new teacher applicants today is actually higher than in the past. Fewer of them are coming from the bottom of their high school classes. More of them have high SAT scores today than in the past. This is exactly contrary to what the Economic Policy Institute's numbers would predict. They show the teacher pay gap is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. That would indicate you'd think the quality of new teachers would be lower, but in fact the exact opposite is happening. What this seems to indicate to me is there's always a surplus of people who are interested in going into teaching. For many years, education schools graduated roughly twice as many potential teachers as new teachers actually were hired. So yeah, but I read in the papers available. I read in the papers, Andrew, that there's a shortage of teachers. Uh, there's one story after another that talks about the shortage of teachers in the United States or in particular places. You're saying there's there's not a shortage. There's a surplus. We discuss that issue in some depth in the National Affairs article, and, and you're completely right. The idea of a teacher shortage is everywhere. It can actually be traced back to a New York Times article from several years ago, before which it wasn't, very, it wasn't mentioned very much. Since then, there have been dozens and dozens of articles on it. What is missing, though, is hard data in the sense of there's very little federal data, very few states really track where the shortages exist. One state that until recently did provide good data was Connecticut, and they provided an output on the number of vacancies for, for uh, different teaching subjects and the number and the quality of the applicants they got for those subjects. What you found is exactly what you expect if you think about the nature of our workforce today. In jobs that require special training, mathematics, science, uh, special education, languages, the number of applicants there was lower, and the quality of applicants for teaching jobs there was lower. But for jobs, ordinary K through six elementary jobs, uh, teaching of middle and high school English and history, the Connecticut schools had many, many applicants for each open spot, and those applicants were very high quality. They, the Connecticut rated them a four on a five scale. This is exactly what you would expect if there was a lot of demand in the private sector for people with special skills, with STEM skills, but not so much demand for people with just English skills or who are teaching children. The idea here is, yes, we have uh, shortages in certain areas. We don't have an overall teacher shortage. So the solution to that is not just to raise teacher pay across the board. If you raise pay across the board, you're still not sending a signal to teachers or potential teachers, we need more science teachers and math teachers and fewer elementary school teachers. So you're what telling you us, you're telling us, Andrew, that, that we're paying teachers the wrong way. That instead yeah. of putting everybody on the same salary schedule so that all teachers get the same salary, except for differences in the number of years they've been teaching or whether they have a master's degree, 
that, that that's not the way to pay teachers. Is that what your is that what your essay is is telling us? Well, sure. It it just doesn't make sense for a business that faces a shortage in one department to raise pay for everybody working for them. It's not simply inefficient. The problem is you need to have an extra incentive to fill certain jobs that are harder to fill. I mean, the same goes if you were trying to fill teaching jobs in a high poverty area where many teachers prefer not to teach. You need to have incentives to fill those jobs specifically. So if there's greater demand in the private sector for teachers with STEM skills, education should raise pay in those areas. But raising pay across the board won't solve the problem, plus it's very, very expensive. All right, so we may be paying teachers enough to get teachers, but are we getting are we paying teachers enough to get high quality teachers? There's a study out there, and Rick Hanushek's uh, got his name on there along with some other folks who've been looking at teacher salaries in other countries around the world, all the OECD countries, and um, they they've got a complex uh, uh, methodology, but they what they show is that. Um, uh, where teacher salaries are higher, you get more qualified teachers, and uh, U.S. teachers are paid less relative to other occupations, uh, whereas in Finland they're paid a lot more, and in uh, Germany they're paid a lot more relative to other occupations. So, um, I, yeah. Yeah, I'm familiar with the, the paper, and I've done some work with the OECD data set um, that Hanasek uses on that. I, to be frank, I'm not sure the data are really sufficient to do the kind of job he's trying to do. The sample size of the teachers there are, are on the small end. What we have found using that data compared to teachers in other countries is they have tests uh, looking at both the verbal and mathematical skills of, of teachers in different countries. The verbal skills, the language skills of U.S. teachers match up pretty well to the, the skills of teachers in other countries where U.S. teachers tend to fall short is they, they are weaker in uh, numerical quantitative skills than teachers in other countries are. The U.S. in particular, of all the countries the, the OECD looks at, the U.S. private sector places the greatest reward on uh, individuals, employees with, with strong quantitative skills. So we do have a mismatch there, but I think the idea that simply paying more is going to get you better teachers I mean, there's various research uh, testing this, and the results are, to be frank, kind of underwhelming. But again, I would go back to the, to the data we show over time. There is various research showing that today's teachers are, in fact, better qualified than teachers in the past. The new teacher applicants, through a teacher qualification tests, through just a general emphasis on having better SAT scores, stronger uh, skills, today's teacher applicants are stronger than applicants in the past despite the claims that the teacher pay gap has gotten larger and larger and larger. Well, Part how about, we how about the... the uh, Affairs article is we try to look at various things the teacher pay gap would predict. If we believe there's a large teacher pay gap, what sort of things would we see? And, and in most cases, we don't see them. And so I think the article is interesting for testing out various ways of thinking about the, the pay gap methodology. Well, how about the salaries and, and benefits? Uh, are, uh, it, uh, there's been a huge increase in the, in the benefit side of that equation uh, for teachers, much more than in uh, other occupations in the private sector. So uh, do you think that that's one of the uh, 
issues out there that too much of the teacher compensation is being put on the benefit side of the equation? Sure. We look at the benefit side using data from what are called the national income and product accounts. These are the official sort of books of the, the U.S. economy put together by the federal government. They show that for private sector workers, benefits are usually worth about 20% of your wages, meaning the the health insurance you receive, the 401k contribution, and so forth, usually comes to be worth about 20% of your wages. In public education, by contrast, benefits are worth about 45% of wages. A lot of this comes because there's slightly more generous health benefits in the public sector, but the pension benefits in particular are much more generous than the private sector. That difference in the generosity of benefits alone is enough to offset a salary gap of around 17%. So even if I thought the Economic Policy Institute salary numbers were correct, benefits would offset most of it. But I really don't think there's strong evidence of a 20% salary gap for public school teachers, which tends to mean that um, the benefits offset any salary penalty. The issue is if you're trying to attract and retain employees, do they care as much about benefits as they do about salaries? I don't think they do. So I think schools could, could benefit themselves by making benefits somewhat less generous, but then using those savings to make salaries, particularly initial salaries for teachers, more attractive. Well, one of the problems with the pension benefit is that it's concentrated on the on the set of teachers that stay for a very long period of time, whereas if you go in for five years and about half the workforce in education actually does go in for about uh, just five years or about that number, uh, they don't get any pension out of it at all. I think by switch, the one issue with, with pensions uh, for teachers and for public sector in general is the defined benefit pensions, the traditional pension. They're not very portable. They're a great deal if you work a full career. If you only work five or ten years, they're not a very good deal. I think offering um, a 401k type plan, you know, a generous one, a well-designed plan with a good employer contribution, that would be more attractive um, to new teachers, first, because they can see the money up front. They know the money is going into their account, but second, they know if they do leave, they can take it with them. You know, one problem of uh, teachers or districts trying to address shortages where they do exist is it's tough to attract teachers from other districts. If they switch from a different pension system, they'll often lose pension benefits. Often uh, school districts will not credit a, uh, a teacher with their full um, years of job tenure. Somebody might come into a district after having worked 10 years, but on the salary schedule they only get credited with five years. These are fairly simple things we could do to help teachers move to where they're needed without completely disrupting the system. Well, I have to ask you one more question, Andrew, and that is uh, people say that we know that teachers aren't being paid well because they're quitting their jobs and going elsewhere into other kinds of occupations. So for that, that fact alone suggests they're not being paid well. So how do you respond well, to that? <laughs> we look at that issue in some detail as well. And it is true that the quit rate among teachers today is higher than in the past. Um, this is found in Bureau of Labor Statistics data. But w what is going on is that the overall labor market in the U.S. Is, is strong, so the quit rate is higher everywhere. People are competing for jobs, employees are moving around. The quit rate for, for teachers is much, much lower than for other private sector jobs. 
So if you think the quit rate is, is an indication of how good a job is, how well compensated it is, that doesn't support the idea that teachers are underpaid because teachers quit their jobs at much lower rates than other private sector workers. I've been speaking with Andrew Biggs, a resident scholar at the American Enterprise Institute and an author of a recently published uh, National Review article, The Truth About Teacher Pay. Thank you, Andrew, for joining me on the Education Exchange. Oh, it's been a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Well, Andrew, that's a fascinating counterstudy to what we've been told out there. Uh, I look forward <laughs> to your uh, willingness to confront the conventional wisdom out there. So thank you very much. <laughs> I am Paul Thank Peterson. This, yeah, I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me every Monday at noon when our weekly podcast is released on the Education Next website.